Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Uh, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Um, by minor prophets, it's uh, one of the shorter uh, prophetic books that we find in the Old Testament. Um, uh, the major ones would be uh, things like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel. Those are the long ones. And then the minor prophets, there's 12 of them. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, they're called the Book of the Twelve. Um, but Habakkuk uh, is, is a little bit different than some of the other um, prophetic books that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, when you look at the other Old Testament um, prophetic books, a lot of times what you'll see is, thus says the Lord, and then it will say what God has said. And Habakkuk, it's a little bit different. Instead, you have, instead of God speaking to his people through the prophet, you have the prophet speaking to God on behalf of his people. Um, It starts out with a question where the prophet Habakkuk, he is in anguish and in pain over the fact of the injustice that he sees all around him. And he asks, how long shall this continue to go on? How long do I have to go through this? And then we see the Lord's answer in the last half of what we'll be looking at tonight. Let's look at our passage, Habakkuk chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days. that You would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation. Who marches through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar, like they fly like an eagle swift to devour. They They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Let's pray. Father, you have spoken this, your word. Father, we pray that you would, as the song that we sang said, 
that you would give us ears to hear, and you would give us faith to see. Lord, that as we read these words, as we hear your word proclaimed, Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear from you. Lord, feed us by your word. And Father, I pray that you would help me, um, a weak sinner, Lord, to, to stand on your word with confidence and proclaim what you have said. In Jesus' name, amen. Habakkuk begins, like I said, with this question, this longing question, why, God, why do I have to keep waiting on you? Oh, Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? He's, he says he, he cries out violence. He, he sees violence out in the street, out in the world around him. And he's asking God to come and save, yet he he feels like God is not hearing him. He feels like he's being ignored. He says he sees iniquity and wrongdoing all around him. He's wondering, why doesn't God do something about this? Habakkuk deals with what they often call the problem of evil. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, then why does He allow injustice? Why does He allow evil to even exist? So Habakkuk wrestles with this question, and God gives him a part of an answer in verses 5-11. through 11. But I want to back up a little bit. I want, I want to be able to see Habakkuk in relationship to his times. If we go all the way back, if we go all the way back to see the big picture of the biblical story, we go back to the garden. And we see Adam and Eve, that God created good. There was not supposed to be any evil, any injustice, anything like that within the garden. God created it a perfect paradise for them to live within. And yet, human beings... We messed up. Adam and Eve, they are first parents. They partook of the first uh, of the forbidden fruit, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And God, well, by that, they introduced sin into the whole world. We've talked about this before. They introduced sin into the whole world, but God gave both a curse and a promise. He promised in a curse on the snake that he would put enmity between the snake's offspring, their, their seed, and the seed of the woman. And that one day there would be a seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent's head. And we know that that seed, that, that uh, holy seed, goes through the line from Adam down to Noah. And we see uh, how, how uh, Noah was named Noah, because it means rest. His father named him thinking, this is the one that will bring us rest from our toil, from our struggle, from the labor of our hands. Seeing that Noah may have been some kind of answer to this promised seed of the woman. But Noah fell short. And then Abraham. 
Abraham was promised a seed who would one day come and bless the whole world. And then we see it narrowing down and narrowing down until we come to David. And David wanted to build a a house, wanted to build a temple for the Lord. You can find that, I think it was 2 Samuel 7. I'm pretty sure. 2 Samuel 7. David wanted to build God a temple, but God tells him, no, you can't build a temple for me. I have never asked you to build a temple for me. Instead, he says, I'm going to build a house for you. And by that, he means a dynasty. He tells David that he's going to have a son one day that will sit on his throne forever. This is the biblical storyline up to about that point. We are, we've been waiting. As, as we read through the biblical storyline, we come to this promise to David and we are looking forward to a Messiah. Someone who would come, who would be that seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. And what happens with David, his, his son? Solomon didn't live up to that, did he? Solomon, while he was the wisest man who ever lived, He was, in many ways, a good king in the fact that the land prospered, yet he was sinful as well. And he took many foreign wives and introduced cultic practices into the land. And then his son, Rehoboam, was foolish and caused a split between the kingdom. You have, after Rehoboam, the north was Israel, And the south was Judah. And each one had their own king. I'm just going to follow the line of Judah because the line of Judah, that was the one that had the Davidic line. It was the line that contained the promise for a king that would one day sit on the throne forever. On David's throne forever. They were looking for someone. Someone to come and be the Messiah. But... What we see was every king fell short. Every king could not be that promised one who would come and crush the serpent's head. There were some kings that were good, some kings that made uh, reforms, that tried to lead people towards the Lord, and they were measured up to the standard of David. And then there were other kings that were evil, that would run the other way, that would introduce all kinds of idolatry and worship of other things. And because God's people were idolatrous, because they continued to, to sin... To fall into sin, God was going to send on them punishment. Before the time of Habakkuk, God sent the Assyrians and He wiped out Israel in the north. We read a little bit about that in Isaiah, uh, in um, the passage where we read about the virgin who will be with child, and you will call his name Emmanuel. That's all talking about what happens when God sends the Assyrians, to wipe out the north in Israel. Yet Judah was left untouched for a while. They, they, um, they still had a king in Judah. A king from David's line. And they were still looking for a, an answer to this promise. 
Hezekiah was the king during the time that the Assyrians defeated, and he had a son. His son was named Manasseh. And Manasseh was probably the most evil, most wicked king that Israel, that Judah ever had. And after Manasseh, he, his son followed in his footsteps, was just as evil. But then his son, Josiah, came along. Josiah was a good king. He came to power when he was only eight years old. Is anybody in here that's eight? We got an eight-year-old? Can you imagine being a king at eight years old? Well, Josiah was eight years old, and he was made king. King over all of Judah, and he was a good king. And, not sure what's going on down there. <laughs> anyway, Josiah was a good king. He, he introduced many reforms, tried to bring people back to the worship of the one true God. He uh, restored the temple. He, he tried to clean things out. And while they were up in the temple, they were cleaning, they found the law. They found the book of the law. Uh, most people think this is probably Deuteronomy that they found. And they had the law read. And when the law was read, the people cried because they realized how far they had fallen from what God's standard was. Well, the Assyrians that had uh, wiped out Israel... They weren't going to last forever. God was going to come and punish them for how they treated His people. And what, would it, what was He going to do? He was going to bring another people called the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. And they were going to come in and wipe out the Assyrians. The Assyrians, though, they reached down to Egypt, which was down further south, to try to get some help. Try to get Egypt to come up and help. Pharaoh Necho was the name of the Pharaoh. And he was going to come up and help the Assyrians battle off the Babylonians, and what do we see happen? Josiah gets in the middle of it. He decides he doesn't want Necho coming along to, uh, to help the Assyrians. And uh, Josiah goes out into battle and he's killed. Now his son, he follows in the ways of his grandfather Manasseh. He continues to be evil and wicked. And he only lasts about three months, and another king is installed, Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim, he's basically just a puppet of the Assyrians, and he is wicked, and he was a tyrant. Now all that history, to say this, Habakkuk lived in a time... Probably when maybe Jehoiakim was king, this ruthless tyrant who would spill innocent blood. The king of, of Judah, the king who sat on David's throne, should have been a good king. Should have been someone who administered justice. But he wasn't. And Habakkuk cries out, How long? Oh Lord, how long you have promised to send someone, to send someone who would defeat the enemy, our enemies, and yet we still wait. How long will you hear our prayers? How long will you make me see iniquity? 
And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. You know, I said when they they were going through the temple, they found a copy of the book of the law. And Deuteronomy, if that's what it was, it it contains many curses and blessings. And and it, it gives God's regulations for His people. And it says, if you do these things, if you devote yourselves to these things, you will be blessed. But if you... Do not do these things. He, he, say, he promises curses that, that His people will be stripped from the land and taken away in chains. Habakkuk, Habakkuk says, is the law paralyzed? God's promise, God's Word, Deuteronomy said, if they don't obey, they'll be taken out of the land. Habakkuk, he sees this injustice. He sees the wickedness of God's people. And he says, is the law going to do anything about this? Is it paralyzed? Can't it do anything? For wickedness surrounds the righteous. For the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. You know, sometimes maybe we feel like Habakkuk felt. We see injustice around us. Maybe it has to do with our legal system. Maybe it has to do with just the righteous, a good person who goes through a lot of suffering. Maybe it just has to do with whatever suffering that goes into our life. And we pray and we ask God to please intervene. And yet, we wait and we feel like, are you even listening, God? Are you even listening? Here's the Lord's answer to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was concerned for the righteousness of God. God was beginning to look unrighteous, was beginning to look unrighteous because this violence was going on and He wasn't doing anything about it. But God answers, verse 5, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You want to see an answer? You want to see me respond to the evil and the wickedness? It's coming, God says. It's coming, but if I tell you, you won't believe it. It's going to be so horrible, so bad. Verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from their selves. These were bad people. The Babylonians, they, they were bad. They were fearsome. They were scary. They were going to come in, and they were out of control too. What was their standard of justice? It was from themselves. It wasn't God's standard of justice coming down from above, but it was their own standard of justice. Whatever was right in their own eyes. We know where that often leads. He says, in describing the army as they come, Verse 8, 
Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they scoff. Notice, they don't care about authority. They don't care about any kings that might try to stand in their way. They're just going to bowl right over them. They just laugh. Jehoiakim, he's not going to stop them. He's just a puppet of the Egyptians. At kings, they laugh. And it says, they laugh at every fortress. They just pile up earth and they take it. You imagine a fortress, a city with a wall all the way around it. And it might seem like a, a, a strong fortress that no one can go inside of. But what do they do? What do these Babylonians do? They would, just, they would just dig the dirt and they would pile it up and pile it up and pile it up and make a ramp until they could climb up right over their wall. And that's what they did. No fortress, no city wall was going to keep them out. They just bowled right over. They just laughed. Nothing was going to keep them out. And they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. They were prideful. They're not going to get away with it either. Because they were prideful. Their own strength, their own might was their God. But yet God was using them. Notice, verse 6 again, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. He doesn't say, behold, I notice the Chaldeans are coming and I'm going to use them. No. He says, behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. He rose them up to accomplish a punishment for His people's disobedience. So we ask, what is the answer that God is giving Habakkuk? Habakkuk. What is the answer? God, how long, how long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to put up with all this injustice? You need to do something for your own sake of your righteousness that your righteousness would be displayed. You need to do something about this, Habakkuk says. And the Lord says, I'm coming. I'm going to punish my people. I'm raising up the Chaldeans and they will be punished. There's a place in the New Testament, it's the place where Bradley read from earlier, where God's justice, God's righteousness is spoken about in a similar way. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to just read verse 25 from that passage. Verse 25 says, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. We're coming to the New Testament, we're coming to Paul's writings, and he's concerned about God's righteousness being displayed. He says, all that time in the past, those former days when God passed over sins, When God looked the other way, it appeared. God began to look unrighteous. 
God had to do something. If He was going to forgive His people, He had to do something. He couldn't just wink at sin. He couldn't just dust it under the rug. He had to do something with it. And how was God to demonstrate His righteousness? By substitution. Jesus Christ took our place. He took our punishment. God is both righteous and holy and loving and gracious. How can those things exist in one God? Justice demands that sin be punished. Yet God is a forgiving God. They can only be reconciled in the cross. In the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we look around in our world today, and we see injustice going on, it's an old one, but I'm going to say O.J. Simpson. He's been in the news lately. Okay, We see someone who has... Everybody believes is guilty, yet he goes free. And that we, we, we just cry out and say, that's just wrong. That's unjust. And I could go other places, but I don't want to get political. We see injustice and we cry out, it's wrong. It's unjust. But there is no injustice that goes unpunished. There is coming a day when He will deal with all unrighteousness, with all iniquity. He told Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe me if I told you how bad it's going to be when I bring this punishment upon my people by bringing the Chaldeans and how how evil and wicked they are, but they're just going to bowl right over your cities. But even how much greater, how much more unimaginable if God told us how bad hell will one day be. There is no injustice that will be swept under the carpet. But there is an eternal hell. God's righteousness will be upheld. And for those who sin, which is all of us, we have two options. We can wait and see and stiffen our necks and not submit to the Lord of the universe and we will experience God's righteousness being displayed as He pours out His wrath on us forever. Or we can flee to the cross in which God's righteousness and justice were displayed for all to see. We can flee to the cross. Habakkuk, while we we think about it, and it seems like it's so distant. It happened so many hundreds of years before Jesus came along. And and how could that have anything to do with us? But I think it points to the paradigm. God's people had to be punished. Sin had to be punished. And in the New Testament paradigm, what we see... Sin still has to be punished. Yet our remedy, our only hope to escape the wrath that is even worse than the Chaldeans is to flee 
to the Savior, flee to a bloody cross in which God's righteousness was displayed for all to see. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at redeemerbaptistpanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.